Welcome to the Forecast Best. I'm Kate Baldwin here with John Avlon. Hola. And a somewhat questionable Harry Anton. You know, some days you just try and pick yourself off the ground, but some days you just want to lie there for a little while. So are we currently lying on the ground or are we standing up? Um, You know, physically I believe we're sitting, but metaphorically perhaps we are lying down. Did you say shalom? Shalom. (laughs) Thank you. Moving on. All eyes are on Washington as the historic impeachment trial of President Donald Trump officially began on Tuesday. It's not only the third time in our nation's history that a president has been impeached. It's also the first time it's played out in an election year. There's fresh polling out showing about half of Americans think the Senate should vote to convict the president. What does that really mean? We're going to dive into the numbers and compare the past with the present and see where we land then. Mm. Then a closer look at what impeachment means for swing state Republicans, the very senators that everyone is keeping their eye on as the Senate trial plays out, as they can have, may have, or may not at all have an outsized impact on what happens next. Plus, with two weeks until the Iowa caucuses, there are new national numbers out that suggest Harry Enton is not completely crazy when he has been arguing that folks... Just in other ways. There wasn't a period. Harry Anton isn't completely crazy, full stop, which would be an accurate statement. But when he has been arguing that folks aren't paying close enough attention to Bernie Sanders, he might not be completely nuts. We'll discuss. (laughs) First, Harry, would you like to do the forecast or do you just want to sit there and sulk? Uh, Look, here's the deal. (laughs) The deal is pretty simple. In Iowa right now, we have a clown car, right? We have, if you take an average of the polls. That's not simple at all. Like who fit? Who come? Who, go, who, who goes can, first? Who goes second? Who goes third? They who all sits go on, on whose lap? Right. Look, Joe Biden is at twenty one percent in the average of polls. Uh, Bernie Sanders is at about seventeen percent in the average of polls. Puta Judge Warren hovering right around sixteen percent, and Klobuchar in fifth, right around eight nine percent. So what I did was I went back over time since 1980 and basically calculated how much the polls have generally been off at this point. Then I ran uh, some simulations and basically came to the following conclusions. Based upon where the polls are right now, uh, we would expect that Joe Biden would win the caucuses about one third of the time. Bernie Sanders would win the caucuses a little bit south of a quarter of the time, while Buddha Judge and Warren a little bit south of a fifth of the time. Klobuchar comes in as a winner only about one in 20 times. So basically what you see is no one has a better than one third chance of winning the Iowa caucuses, while Klobuchar, despite the fact that she's in fifth and sort of has been spoken up, really as an outsider at this point, only would win about 1 in 20 or 0.5 over 10 times for you mathematical wizards. So uh, I'm going to go from mathematical nerd to history nerd. Uh, How does this compare with... Uh, people in the top tier of Iowa caucuses in the past? Uh, I mean, look, it really depends on which ones you're looking at. If you were look at the Republican caucuses about, you know, four years ago, what you would see is that both Donald Trump and and Ted Cruz probably uh, were, were split close to about 40 percent or 40, 45 percent each to win the caucuses. Their odds would be based around hmm. the polling versus someone like a Rubio was probably about a one in 10 shot, maybe a little bit north of there. Hmm. And no one else really particularly close. Obviously, on the Democratic side, um, four years ago, uh, Hillary Clinton was favored, but it was not a very large lead. She probably would have only won about two thirds of the time in that particular instance. So about 67 percent of the time. These odds are kind of exciting where, yeah. where, you know, like where a lot of folks feel with the trends that you see in polls a lot of the time. It seems that 
it's very clear that there's a top tier, very clear number one in some instances, but we will obviously be dissecting that in a second. I think that's exciting to see that the best that we see in the field in terms of odds right now is one third. Yeah. And and to be clear, you know, this is based solely around the polling. There are other forecasts. You know, there are forecasts out there that take into account more than that. And perhaps Biden perhaps is a little bit better. But no one in anything that I've really seen is better than, say, about a two in five or a 40 percent chance of winning. Uh, there is still a lot to be determined. And the other thing that I will point out is a lot of the Iowa polling that has come in so far this month, in my opinion, with the exception of our own poll, um, which perhaps goes the other way, really has been undercovering the youth vote, I believe, uh, based upon the numbers that I'm seeing. Um, hmm. And to me, that is a suggestion that perhaps as we get more numbers in Sanders may go up in the Iowa numbers um, relative to everybody else. But this will change as the polling comes in. It's an odds maker, gives you a good understanding, putting the polls that in, in their current context into a historical context to give you an understanding of what they exactly mean as we look ahead to the caucuses on the third. Who turns out to caucus more, old people or young mm-hmm. people? So this is interesting. In a primary, older people relative to their percentage of, say, the electorate would turn out more. But in caucuses, in fact, that tends to neutralize that advantage significantly. Uh, I would expect that the Iowa caucuses will have perhaps those under the age of 29 could make up a fifth. I've seen as high as a quarter of all voters. And Hmm. a lot of the polls that we've seen so far have a significantly lower percentage than that. And I I think we saw that to some degree in caucuses going past, right, when we looked at 2008, where I think a lot of people underestimated Barack Obama's strength going into those caucuses because they were underselling how many young people would turn out. Isn't the plural of caucuses cockeye? No, it's caucuses. I'm just messing around. Okay, really. I was uh, like, wait a second. <laughs> no, Have I been doing this wrong all the along? entire time? Uh, uh, final quick question. Uh, folks like likely to get less than 15%. How do you see their votes reshuffling among the top? So, so if, if we were to look at our own polling, what we saw was among those who weren't supporting Biden, Buttigieg, Warren, or Sanders, that they were more likely to choose Biden or Buttigieg, or at least were actively considering them more than they were Warren or Sanders. There was a David Binder poll, which I honestly thought underestimated how many young people would be turning out, but showed something fairly similar, which was that Biden and Buttigieg would be the beneficiary of those who weren't going to make the 15% threshold. Um, Can we switch gears? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, As President (laughs) Trump's impeachment trial is getting underway, both sides have been making comparisons to 1999 and the trial of President Clinton, setting aside the rules and procedures, which many are referencing in these comparisons to 99. Another difference is that Trump is not squaring off against a Senate held by the opposing party. This time, members of the president's own party hold a majority in the Senate. And even so, according to a new CNN poll conducted by SSRS, about half of Americans, 51 percent, say the Senate should vote to convict and remove him from office. Forty five percent say the Senate should vote against conviction and removal. So let's compare this to Clinton's impeachment. Gallup looked at several polls conducted in early 99 and found that an average of 33 percent of Americans were in favor of the Senate convicting Clinton and removing him from office. Sixty three percent were opposed. What do you guys think of those comparisons? It's bonkers. I mean, I've been doing this in reality check in a couple of right, slicing it in right. a couple of different ways. <clears throat> Just keep in mind that in, in both cases, the economy is very strong, right? Um, and yet, after Bill Clinton is impeached, 
So in December of 98, his approval rating goes up to 73%. Donald Trump remains very steady at 42-43. Um, the fact that a majority of Americans want him not just impeached but removed, and I think that language is really important because that's a higher bar. That's the highest bar. Um says that, you know, it, it, that just compounds the fact that this is a deeply unpopular president who hasn't been able to build out beyond his base. 69% also say there should be witnesses. That, to me, is the no-brainer. That's what we're really talking about. Two-thirds threshold has never been right. met in American history. It's, are we going to have a something resembling a real trial with real witnesses and new information that's come out that, frankly, show the president has not been telling the truth? Um, or, or are we going to have just a... a Play to the base, uh, you know, I- I- ignore the facts conversation and the what was formerly known as the world's most deliberative body. What do you think of the comparisons? I, I mean, look, here, here's the deal. The deal is obviously President Trump has throughout his term pretty much been a more unpopular president than Bill Clinton has been. Uh, and that's like minimizing it. That's minim- Yeah, maybe. He's the least po- he's the only president in the history of Gallup never to be above 50 percent. Despite an unbelievably strong economy. He's also traded in the smallest range, correct? <clears throat> yes. So it's stable, yet it's also unpopular, but it's not, you know, Nixon levels. It's not Truman levels towards the end of their terms in office. Um, here's the deal. It is, at this point, a proxy for his overall popularity, as you were hinting at, John. If you were to look among voters, which is what I prefer to do than all Americans, since at the end of the day, that tends to be what um, elected officials look at. His overall net approval rating... Minus six points. The net on removing him from office, the Senate removing him from office, minus two points. You look at Clinton's approval rating during his period in office when the impeachment saga was going on. His approval rating pretty much matched the same as those who didn't want him out of office. And so for me, there's a lot of polarization going on here whereby it has basically been you like Trump. You don't want him removed. You don't like Trump. Yes, you do want him removed. That is very, very different to bring in another historical comparison with what was going on with Nixon, whereby there were a slew of people who didn't like him but didn't want him removed from office. Here, the two are matching together. I mean, is what you are getting at the simple fact that you don't even necessarily need to dive very deeply into the historical polling here. You just need to look at what we've talked about over and over again, which is how hyper polarized the country is. So the comparisons don't really even match. It's just the simple fact is the answer is why are the numbers different because the country is more polarized. Well, I I think that's contributing to it. And certainly the fact that, I mean, in in, in 1998, 1999, the president, Bill Clinton, apologized for his behavior ultimately. And and Democrats in the House and Senate condemned him for his behavior. They just said it didn't rise to a constitutional standard to be removed. Right. Is it is it right? Is it the uh, nature of the charges that you think could be in in part because I think people understood it was lying about sex, even if it was under oath, it wasn't anything resembling what the founding fathers had contemplated. What the president has been credibly charged of and the facts seem to indicate is very much in line with what the founding fathers worried about. Foreign power being asked to influence a domestic election, abuse of power, obstruction of Congress, upsetting the the separation of powers. Um, But in both cases, look, people did not like Bill Clinton's actions and they didn't think he was particularly trustworthy. But they they thought he was doing a pretty good job as president, despite a good economy. What we have with Donald Trump is people not thinking he's trustworthy, not thinking he's doing a good job as president, despite a good economy. So, 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 yeah, things are more polarized, and that's leading to people abandoning their oath of office in the Senate. But it, it, I think it's it's a, it's a more dire portrait for Donald Trump than than folks think. Just compare the thirty three percent remove to the fifty one percent remove. Um, it, it's a function of polarization, but it's really a problem of his own making. Hmm. I'll point out two quick things. Number one, I will say that post 
the impeaching of Trump by the House. The conviction numbers in the polling do seem to have climbed slightly. We've seen that in our own CNN polling where 51 percent now of all Americans say he should be um, removed from office. We even saw that in the Monmouth poll. That's a terrible number. It's not like a good number. Numb to it. But 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 here. But, you know, here's the thing, John. The thing is that if you look at his overall approval rating, his net approval rating, Minus six, it's the same as it's always been. If anything, it's at the higher end of that range. If you look at the battleground states, which is a crosstab that we have, the 15 closest states in the 2016 election, you see that the numbers actually shift among voters, whereby a plurality do not want him removed from office. That is consistent with the polling that we saw um, from the New York Times Siena College polls. So I, I, I recognize this is not good numbers for Trump. I will never argue that 50, when 50 plus percent of the American people want you removed from office, that that's a good number. But at the same time, I think it's very important to realize that although in our own mind we think of the bar's removal as higher than disapproval, in the actual polling, the people are pretty much keeping them the same. Can I add to this something? I've asked this before, I know, but I think it remains quite relevant and, I, and I'm and i curious about it. The chicken or the egg question that I've been wondering since the beginning of this, which is, egg. do... Thank you. Sorry. Do... Lawmakers determine their vote. I know we know that there aren't going to be 20 Republicans that are going to jump over to, to vote with Democrats. But do lawmakers determine their vote based on the facts, based on what they see, based on what they feel, and then make that case to voters? Or are they looking at numbers like this, numbers in their districts, numbers in their states, and they're listening to what the voters think and then just voting that way? You're first. I think it's a little bit of A and I think it's a little bit of B. Ah. You thought the same? I was going to say the exact same thing. Oh. It's that they are looking at the polls. They are seeing what their constituents think. But at the same time, they can move their constituents. They can move those within the party. We saw that in the impeachment um, polling so far, whereby the impeachment inquiry, it was underwater. Then Pelosi announced it, and it went above water thanks to Democrats. Yeah, look, these, thi- these things are dynamic. Politicians are self-interested creatures. The founders wanted the Senate to be thinking with independence and integrity. That's the thing they seem to have least of. What has twisted the polling is they're not even looking at nationwide polling or statewide polling. They're preoccupied with their base. That's what polarization is wrought. So they're really only paying attention to their party on their side of the aisle. That is a complete inversion of what the Senate is supposed to do. In circumstances like like this and all circumstances. So polarization has just made us crazy. And I will say, seeing in battleground numbers, Trump is not doing particularly well outside non-white, non-college educated voters. Okay, folks, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, how this seminal moment in American history might impact vulnerable Republicans, as we were kind of discussing, up for re-election. And is it Bernie Mentum? That does not sound good. No, Burn Mentum? Burn Mentum? No. Burn Mentum. Burn I like it. it. Burn. Why Harry Enten is mad at everyone for what he views as ignoring Bernie Sanders. We'll be right back. And we're back, friends. As closely as everyone is watching the moves of every senator sitting in the Senate impeachment trial of President Trump, no one is being watched as closely as a very small group of Senate Republicans up for re-election this year. That includes Cory Gardner of Colorado and Susan Collins of Maine, both up for re-election this year in states Hillary Clinton won in 2016. Could there be political consequences for these moderate Republicans? 
Yes. Who wants to be <laughs> exactly? Yes. What, and we're done. Thank you very much. <laughs> what is the best measure of whether impeachment is having an impact on these senators so far? I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, I, it's 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 one of those things whereby maybe you take their temperature at the beginning of the day and take it at the end of the day, and they're like, your... like ninety eight point six or one hundred one. By the way, did you see that study that says that our uh, body temperature has been shifting over the past 150 years. That but, seems bad. But in any event, if you were to look at the Colorado and Maine polling, we haven't really gotten a lot of it. A lot of it's been from democratically aligned groups. Mm-hmm. But what it does suggest is that impeaching and removing Trump, at least in the numbers that were taken at the towards the end of last year, was a more popular proposition than it was nationwide in both Maine and Colorado. That shouldn't be so much of a surprise because both of those states voted to the left of the nation as a whole in 2018. So that tends to line up with them. And yet it doesn't seem to me, if I were a betting man at this point, that I would think that either Gardner or Collins would vote to remove Trump from office. So if anything, this would suggest exactly what we were just talking about in the last segment, mm-hmm. which is they care more about their base than they necessarily do about how the voters in their state but overall. They what because, is Susan Collins' base right now? Right, yeah, th- 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 that's that's the larger point here. Look, if they've got a prayer, it's going to be because they appeal to independent voters, and it's going to be because the moderate voters think they're not, you know, sort of slavishly devoted to Donald Trump. So the, the right answer is ultimately to doing what you think is right. The key vote here is not necessarily to remove. The key vote is whether you're going to have witnesses and mm-hmm. evidence. And, and on that, you to know, repeat what you said earlier, it takes two thirds of the Senate in order to remove the president. That would require the Senate math now twenty Republicans to vote with all Democrats. Ain't going to happen. It's has not going never to happen. happened. Closest happen. it ever came was eighteen sixty eight, and that was a totally di- different scenario. The fact that they are so conflicted about doing what they presumably know to be right because they are afraid of the base when they don't even really have a primary and just have a general election in states dominated by independent voters shows how how polarization makes people stupid. Can, can they have it both ways in a raw politic way? Vote for the amendments like allowing witnesses, which would you would think for yes. Cory Gardner and Susan Collins appeal to yes. though you know the the moderate stream in in the uh, in their states and also obviously know that they are going to vote to not con- vote not to acquit, okay, yeah. against removal in the end. Have it both ways. Yeah, I, I, I think feel that's like probably they can, except not with Donald Trump. That's the, maybe the bing, 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 bing. Except for Donald Trump, if you look at any of the national polls, for example, or you to look at our Iowa poll uh, conducted uh, at the beginning of this month, what did you see? You see that impeachment is ranked very low on the issue importance scale, right? This is not something that most voters are necessarily thinking about when they're going to cast their votes, say, November of 2020. However, you could be sure that the president of the United States is very much watching these Republican senators. And if you were to combine A, essentially, that most voters don't care in the center of the electorate about impeachment, and B, the president of the United States does really care, to me, that's not necessarily a difficult electoral equation to solve if I were them. Look, you know, imperfect parallels, but when Trent Lott was leading the Senate impeachment of uh, trial of uh, Bill Clinton, uh, he told a story the other day about how Bill Clinton at one point during the trial called to talk about a piece of legislation he was trying to pass. The extent to which adults are being bullied um, away from doing what they know to be right. Um, because they're afraid of, of, of a tantrum, they're afraid of being called out and castigated, and they're ignoring their own conscience, it, it, it's just, you failed the adult test, people. <laughs> you're not going to ever satisfy that cat. I hope that test is not required for this podcast, I'm just <laughs> going to say. Wait, and again, 
cold, hard reality for these vulnerable vulnerable senators. And I will say this maybe as well, maybe maybe for Doug Jones as well, the moderate Democrat in a really tough reelection mm-hmm. in Alabama, a vote to acquit. That's going to, let's say that holds off a primary challenge. And then, then they just take a chance with everything else that the issue is largely not an, on voters' minds come 10, 11 months from now. I, I, I think, I, I think, I think they, they say, look, I, I didn't just roll with the president insisting he did nothing wrong. He did something wrong. I heard all the evidence. I decided we shouldn't remove a president in election year over that. That's a totally tenable position to take. And likely not one they're going to take. I'm just going to say, I feel like it's just, we can see the way it's going to go. It's not like they... No He's one... not going to be removed, but it is absolutely realistic to think that he could and should and probably will uh, have witnesses and, and evidence. Look, Susan, Collin, Susan Collins voted with Democrats for one amendment. And she said yesterday she was likely to vote for witnesses. So, but you still need three other folks to do it. That's exactly right. All right. Now let's turn back to the top of the ticket. A series of polls over the past month are showing something that hasn't necessarily been grabbing a lot of headlines. Bernie Sanders either in the lead or neck and neck, both nationally and in early voting states like Iowa. So is he on the rise? If so, Harry, why do you argue that people aren't paying attention to this fact? I mean, well, you wrote your, The piece that you wrote was, yes, Bernie Sanders can pull it off. I think some people are paying attention to the fact that he's up. I think less people are taking seriously the fact that he could win. Right. Okay. I think we've heard a lot of times people say that Bernie Sanders has a ceiling. Uh, and if I know something about ceilings, as they can be removed quite easily, uh, you can write, remember. Have you done that? Uh, no, of course not. Recently? I, I, I'm not Construction? a Construction recently? No, I don't do that. I leave that to the professionals, just like I hope that people leave polling to the professionals. Uh, wow. Ouch. We can see ceilings. You should just start naming names. Like, it would Seriously. be really fun if you're just like, and you, and it Abby, would always be someone Bernice. on Twitter. Oh, uh, you person on Twitter Chad, who's actually a Russian Chad, bot you shouldn't Chad. pay attention to. Uh, David, <laughs> remember Donald Trump had supposedly had a ceiling and that went goodbye. Look at the national polls that we've seen that have come out uh, in the past 24 hours uh, since we started recording this podcast. A, CNN's poll. Bernie Sanders at 27 percent. That's the highest he's ever been at in any CNN poll. The last poll, he was at 20 percent. That was the highest he had been at in any CNN poll uh, since his you know, post-debate launch. Um, B, take a look at a Monmouth University poll. Not as friendly for Sanders. He's at 23 percent there. But again, he's up to his highest since his post-debate bounce. If you were to average all the polls together, he's averaging in the low 20s right now. That is up from, say, the 15, 16 percent that he's been averaging most of the last past year. So clearly he is rising nationally. If you look at the state of Iowa, for example. Can you remind me why that matters still? We still have caucuses haven't even gone happened. Why do we care about the national number? We care about the national numbers because most of the states tend to follow the national numbers. That is that if you see one candidate rising nationally, he's probably or she is also probably rising this in the early people states. People want to cluster around a winner. Um, but it's if you look at the Iowa, if you take a look at the last five polls that had a pollster that had previously been in the field, he's up an average of five points. It's pretty clear to me, if you look across the polls, that Bernie Sanders is rising. And unlike, say, an Elizabeth Warren or Pete Buttigieg, who had trouble gaining support among non-white voters, Bernie Sanders, if you were to look at the polls, does better among non-white voters than white voters. So is this the—you you talk about this often, kind of the bias in coverage that people receive. Is this the media bias of liking a shiny new object why, why why aren't people – if the numbers say this, why aren't people talking about Bernie Sanders more? 
um, who I, says Harry? I, I, I actually don't know if people aren't talking. Look, about I, I think Bernie Sanders has a very intense uh, core constituency. Um, I think he has driven the debate in the Democratic Party, and it's particularly outsized on Twitter, and I know Harry agrees with that. Um, but mm-hmm. in, particularly in caucuses and in New Hampshire, a neighboring state, um, uh, and, and uh, you know, he's going to do outsized well. Here's the question. Are the candidates, um, are the supporters of the other candidates likely to rally around him, who many people see as a Jeremy Corbyn scenario if he were nominated against Donald Trump, uh, or... Uh, one How of many the, people are actually making a Jeremy Corbyn kind of comparison other than you? I, they should be if they're thinking about it for three <laughs> seconds. But They know who uh, Corbyn is. Yeah, I mean, um, literally, you have to start there. It, look, the, Do- Donald Trump beats a socialist by six points. Um, the, the campaign, Donald Trump, the president, has been pumping up Bernie Sanders' candidacy lately. So is his son. Um, it's, a, it's, it's not hard to figure out what's going on, folks. But if Bernie wins in Iowa... And then he goes to New Hampshire, where he won last time. And then next is Nevada, where, which is a heavy labor state where he could do well, and wins the first three states. That's going to be tough to stop. So I think, you know, Harry's just trying to point out that the trend mm-hmm. and, and, and the map could be his friend in a way that folks may not see coming. Then riddle me this. If Democrats riddle me this. Batman and Robin, I will let you guys fight it out. Who's going to play what role? Democrats still... <laughs> Nice play. Democrats still think beating Donald Trump is the most important Correct. thing or is more important than the alternative that's offered up in the questions, which is I support a candidate who supports my positions it's, on issues. If that remains the most important thing for Democrats, Joe Biden still remains the candidate with the plurality, which is like my least favorite polling word that we use. Um, Love that word. Of course you would. Um, so I, none of these things make sense to me. These two <laughs> things are in conflict. But you're not dealing with a majority of the, of the party with, with Bernie Sanders, right? You're dealing with a quarter. The question is, in a crowded field in early states that are trending towards him, can he get enough momentum that he's tough to beat? Electability is an important thing. It's not the only thing. Uh, if you look at the polling right now, Bernie Sanders versus Trump, it's not that much worse than Biden versus Trump. Bernie, if anything, has a better case to make about electability than Elizabeth Warren does. And if you were to look Dude, at the- but it's Biden is 45 percent. Sanders is 24 percent. Right. Like- we tested a bunch of different attributes. And while Biden does best on that, on some other attributes that we tested, Biden doesn't do nearly as well. So you have to, you know, electability, again, it's important, but it's not the only thing that matters. The other thing I'll just note is that- If you that- frame it, would this person- will satisfy your ideological itch, but definitely lose in the fall. How would that do? Well, I I tell you that uh, Sanders would certainly be higher on that score than Biden would be. Just checking. Uh, Only 10 percent, 10 percent of Democrat, potential Democratic primary voters in our CNN poll said they'd be upset if Bernie Sanders won the Democratic nomination. So there is still a lot of room to grow from there. Greater than 70 percent said they would at least be satisfied if Bernie Sanders won the Democratic nomination. There is no ceiling. That doesn't mean he will win. Biden, in my opinion, is still the front runner of this campaign. But Bernie Sanders, if you have any belief that he can't be the nominee, let me snap you out of it. Snap out of it. Wow. Snap out of it. I heard that snap. It was it was saucy. Um, <laughs> that's a wrap for us today, you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. While you're there, please leave a comment. And you can always find us on Twitter. I'm at Kate Baldwin. At John Avalon. Henrietta. I'm in my kitchen. No. 
I'm at Forecaster Enton on your Twitter and Instagram dial, but I don't really tweet out pictures. I don't Instagram out pictures. I'm just there because I was forced to be on that platform. Special thanks to our team behind the scenes, who I'm constantly amazed hasn't quit us yet. Amy Easton, Lauren Moore, Raj Makija, and David Toledo. Thanks, you guys. Uh, We'll see you next time on the Forecast Fest. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.